0: Oscar poker I'm free
1: It's great to talk to you, Phil, because we yeah. haven't spoken. yeah, it's great in... hearing
2: your voice, Phil.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's
3: great to be back. It really is. It's yeah. like
1: old times. The only thing that's changed is Phil got married.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And I, and I can't wait for the people on Jeff's site to make fun of me again. I've, there is a hole inside of me in that needs to be filled again. So.
1: Oh, no. Well, Jeff and I aren't married. and we've well, Jeff has been married. I've never been married, so you've got one up on us, I'd say. All right.
2: Um,
1: all right. So let's start with The Martian, my my, the most enjoyable film I've seen this year, definitely. And why,
2: again, Because I just interject, I'm totally into it, but why are we talking about The Martian exactly?
1: Because it's number one for two weeks in a row, and I'd like to know from Phil if you think that it's just marketing, or do you think it's good word of mouth? I feel like it's word of mouth. I keep telling everybody to go see it.
3: Right. No, it, it's definitely word of mouth. I mean, right right now the thing's up to $227.8 million globally. Um, I don't know if it's going to get to Gravity, level because that was just massive but How high was gravity? Well put. gravity was like 715 i want to say wow. yeah 716 so that's a pretty high bar to hit um jeff with the typing i know not, jeff you gotta stop up, with sorry. that it's like that really that loud, loud
1: pounding sorry. on the keyboards it's not just typing it's pounding
3: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um yeah, it wouldn't be a podcast without without us slapping Jeff's wrist and stopping. I, just, I out. didn't
2: realize. I didn't hear. I don't hear a thing out of my excellent headphones. so am sorry,
3: <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's definitely worn about Sasha. It, it, you know, because it's it's just a satisfying movie, and um, you know, it's just gonna stay steady over the next couple of weeks. I mean, Bridges Spies next week might might take a tiny chunk out of it, but mm. not really. I mean, it's it's got crazy. crazy momentum.
1: It does. And it's also a cinema score, which seems like it's harder these days for Oscar movies to get those like they happen a lot with mainstream movies that are aimed at certain audiences. But um, I'm always looking at cinema score now because, uh, you know, Argo was an A and King's Speech was an A. And it's not like it's the number one reason why a movie can win, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, It shows, you know, an overall crowd pleaser. Even a movie like *The Martian*, which is bogged down in hardcore science, I'm actually reading the book right now, which is even more sciencey than the movie. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah the book is really specific, and and um, so you're you're drawing in, I think, and you know more than me about this, but I imagine you're drawing in like lots of different people from a lot of different groups to see this. And uh, you are,
3: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it proves the the notion that if you if you have a very effective ending it almost doesn't matter what came before it. I mean, yeah, a lot of mm. people are probably lost by the science in in the movie and they and they stripped it down even from the book. I didn't even get I didn't even want to finish the book cuz I, I watched the movie and then tried to read the book and I said, "Wow, well, what's the point of this?" Yeah. Um uh, but that ending is just is great and everybody leaves the theater in a good mood and it's an easy movie to recommend. For, so, you say, sorry, Phil, sorry, the, Jeff. The, the science
2: <laughs> the science has been stripped down. It's it's not really that complex. All you have to do is listen and try and, you know, put it together in your head. It's not that difficult. Well, he's, you... well the
3: script is smart in that way, too, because they they always have, a, you know, the comic relief moment where somebody says, you know, mm-hmm. can you say that to me in English? Yeah. You know, right. come again, you know, and that, that's 100% for the audience. Oh, and my that's God. If, if in you, the book at all. That's is, right. If like, you
1: read the book, that's the one thing you come away with thinking is what a great screenplay, because he cherry-picked all the best lines from the book and made it even funnier, you know? Yeah. Because the, the book is great. It's funny, like, I think I heard my favorite line from it was something like, chemistry is a, sl- is a sloppy bitch or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if that's in the movie. I can't remember. But, um, you, but
2: You sound like kids who are just delighting at how much fun you're your your toys are, it's, or your, your 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 backyard is. This is so much fun. Let's let's play whiffle ball. But you it's, know
1: what? Every once in a while, a movie comes along that is fun, and I don't get to see a lot of them. Honestly, I don't. Usually, a movie takes a lot of work, and I appraise those movies. "Beasts of No Nation" is my favorite film of the year, but you know, when a movie like this comes along that is just pure pleasure, and you're really rooting for the hero, and it's got a great cast of you know diverse cast, and a woman's a captain of a ship, and. And it just is fun. And the music is great. I mean, it, you know. It, it's, you,
2: you know what I'm talking about, though. This no, is, I'm uh, talking
1: about old Hollywood movies that I used to see when I was a kid that made me want to fall in love with the movies and want to keep yeah. going back. And that's what The Martian reminds me of. It's just an old-fashioned, good, big studio entertaining film. And I would not have a problem with it if it won Best Picture at all.
2: It's trying to make wow. it, uh, trying to make us all feel that you know there is a possibility, uh, uh, there is a, there is cooperation, there is a, there is. Um, uh, you know, people that are that are trying to to do the right thing and the smart thing. It's all kind of up, you know, it's an up experience.
1: It is, but and, also and you should read Anthony Lane's review in The New Yorker, which is great because it draws a parallel between I read
2: that actually. Yeah,
1: it's really good. It draws a parallel between Ripley in Alien and uh, yeah. Watney and in, in this movie and and it's sort of praising Ridley Scott for being his age and being able to make such a successful breezy uh-huh. film like he did, you know, and he's never won best director. Gladiator won Best Picture, but he. Never oh, that's won. a really good point. Yeah, yeah, I
3: didn't even think of that. There, there could be a really Brother. strong, you know. Let's give Ridley Scott mm-hmm. his his due for for a movie like this. I could I could it's, see that, especially looking at uh, Alfonso Cuarón w- winning right. for Gravity. I mean, what what's you know? Definitely, I mean, this it's is it's every, not going to
2: happen, it, fellas. It's not going. <laughs>
1: to I'm happen. just saying it. He could happen. He's directed Blade Runner and Alien, and he's never he's been nominated. because
2: he's at the end of his career and he has done some superb work. Since the late '70s, starting starting with the the duelist. Yeah, because the academy
3: Jeff. never gives a career award out ever. That's
1: right. They never yeah. do, especially <laughs> Ridley Scott. Yes,
2: they do, of course, they do. I know. But I'm being sarcastic, Jeff. I'm this, shooting. It, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I know. But what I'm just saying is that this is not uh, a movie that has real gravitas. It's an entertainment package. It's it's very smartly done. But it's meant to entertain and have a give us a good time. But it's not really about loneliness or the horror of being stranded on a planet. It's always up, you know. It just keeps. Yeah, telling but you-
1: sometimes those kind of movies do win. I'm not saying it's going to win. I'm saying it has a chance to to win because it's it's um it's entertaining. And you have to remember that Academy members have a week or so over the holidays to pick the movies. And this is like between. Christmas and New Year's. They're sitting there with their families in Aspen or wherever it is, mm-hmm. and they've got a pile of DVDs. Now, are they going to want to put on a movie that bums everybody out? <laughs> or are you telling everybody me that everybody sitting people, there going to go, I want to watch The Martian?
2: May I, may I just interject an observation? I, I was friendly with an actress who's been in the Academy for some time, and she's very much like the people you just described. She studiously avoids seeing anything or immersing herself in any of the supposedly award-worthy films, and then she waits until the very end of the year to kind of binge-watch everything mm-hmm. on the screeners. And, and this is, I mean, could you be any more, uh, any less uh, of a devotee, any less Catholic in your approach to movies than to avoid them all year and only wait because it's like homework. You have to do it. Uh, it's sure. a morning. Monday what a what a dilettante attitude. Well, That's it just... is,
1: but you have to deal. I mean, you wonder why feel-good movies keep winning. It's a miracle 12 Years a Slave won, considering that, is that they have, I mean, when they pick the winners, it's a little bit different, but for the nominees, they're entertaining their whole family. I know, because I've sat there over ho- holiday seasons with a pile of screeners, and I've had a whole bunch of different uh, different people wanting to watch a movie, and what movie am I going to pick out of the pile that I know everybody's going to enjoy? Well, I'm going to pick a movie like The Martian. I'm going to say, "Hey you guys, you got to watch this." And I know everybody in the room is going to watch it and like it.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, just from a financial perspective, I feel like we're due for a a more popular Best Picture winner. I mean, you look at the recent winners and they're not they weren't huge hits, you know. It was very right. kind of Hollywood being insulated and and especially with Birdman. I mean, I don't think there's been a more Um, insulated pick for Best Picture in a a long time than that. So uh, I I think the the, the Academy needs to open up this year. And at the very least, The Martian needs to be nominated because last year, the Carapa nominees... It wasn't a very commercially successful bunch. I mean they didn't let Gone Girl in. they didn't let you know other movies in that they could have that right. would have made the show more appealing so
1: that's right that's, it was, that was probably the worst example last year of I'm not saying the movies weren't great and that they deserved. It. I'm just saying the most extreme example of a tiny little group of people yeah. who pick awards versus everybody else out there that watches and there's week, a lot of spots i mean
3: where does it hurt to have you know i mean what does it have hurt to have one or two really commercially successful crowd-pleasing movies in there i don't see the problem in that me either I mean, it's, I it's think fine
2: it's- to nominate them just forget yeah. winning and forget <laughs> which release really got you know it just it just isn't a profound enough film it's a it's too much of a of an entertainment package it's completely fine i wouldn't mind seeing it uh, to get out of the heat today. You know, it's really... It's so hot here. I just want to interject. Oh, That I have,
0: gosh.
2: That I have two plants, one of which is very hardy <laughs> and is, you know... And it, it literally wilted from... It's almost half dead because oh. of the, it got blasted by the heat so much. I took both of them inside and I'm spraying them. I mean, they're like saying, thank you, thank you. My <laughs> God, it's awful out there.
1: <laughs> I know, and you're in West Hollywood where it's usually cooler. I'm always in the valley and it's always hot. But, yeah, it's been miserable. Um, so, I high that, 90s,
0: right?
1: I think that what yes, a really horrible, horrible beyond horrible. But um the I think what gives the Martian gravitas for me personally is Ridley Scott and I think that his his participation in the film and the great screenplay and the fact that it makes everybody feel really happy makes it a force. I mean, there are... A, and now that we hear that Joy is going into the drama section and not the comedy section, that yes. was the one movie I thought was going to be really funny and really enjoyable, but it's not, obviously. It's going to be depressing as hell. But... that um, no, it's
2: not. It's about a woman who... Makes it who manages to push a product and, and yeah. pull her life together. It's not about a downer. Why do you characterize it like that? Well,
1: maybe it won't be a downer. Maybe it'll be a happy. But I'm just saying it's not going to be like The Martian in other words.
2: No, it's not going to be right. uh, a, a laugh-filled, uh, a jokey with with music cues and everything else. It's almost right. like a Tarantino film, The Martian.
1: Right. Yeah. You know. Well, what I about...
2: mean, it's very topical. It's l- winking at the audience constantly, saying, "We're we're, you're, we're cool guys. You know, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. We've got you know Jeff Daniels and and Chewy, uh, <laughs> it's worth working. It. They're gonna figure it out. Don't worry about it. You, you know, know what? relax. You can't. It pop- just.
1: You can't. The thing about *The Martian* is, it just worked. Whatever they did, however they combined it, Matt Damon in that part, the the tone of it, the approach of it, it just worked, and it's a crowd pleaser. And and like Phil says, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having. A crowd pleaser in the Oscars. I mean, I always joke that, like, here comes Oscar season, it's time for all the Academy members to re-up their antidepressants. (laughs) Well, I mean,
3: the the way I look at it is, right, you got hypothetically nine or ten spots, so you know, two of those spots can go to the commercial thing, right? You can still have four or five spots that go to the really small movies that the, the public's not gonna take a chance on unless they get nominated for Best Picture, right? And then you have a couple of spaces for the no-brainers like Joy and The Revenant. So it, it can be evenly distributed. That's when I. That's and why I hate when they talk so. about, you know, oh Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Well, Spotlight I would put in the category of the smaller movies yeah. that people wouldn't take a chance on because Won't look at journalism. Look at journalism movies at the box office. Not a good. Not a good track record.
2: Have you seen um, Spotlight?
3: No, I might go to the uh, Middleburg thing, though. That you're uh, hey gonna, Phil, yeah. I'm
2: going to be there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: I know that's <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, that's in my neck of the woods. So I, I might try to to get in there at the last minute. Neat. You know uh, they
1: have a lot of movies playing there. If you go to that, you'll see yeah. everything pretty much. Yes yeah. so that's going to be opening. I'm telling you,
2: Phil, I feel that Spotlight has everything that that are, that are basically a popcorn movie like Martian doesn't have, which is that you feel like you're really uh, connected to the to the real world. You're you're talking about morality, a real concern about which way it will go, will it pan out? You know, it's going to Work out that it's a, you know, pre We all know the history of the exposure sure. of, of Catholic uh, debauchery, but this is a uh, movie that that really delivers the real stuff as opposed to a concoction that's meant to make us feel good, like like The Martian.
3: Yeah. Well, and it, it's good that they've got Open Road behind it because yeah. they're they're a smart distributor and it, it guarantees. I, mean, I don't know if you guys know the background of Open Road, but it guarantees movie screens because it's essentially exhibitors that started that. You know, it is yeah. exhibitors It started it, so mm. there's just going to be muscle behind it, and and I hope it I hope it takes off. But it's just journalism movies have a bad track record.
1: Wow, that's interesting. Feel. I didn't know it was started by exhibitors. I had no yeah. idea. Wow. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, can I ask uh, your opinion of how far or how well Steve Jobs is going to do? Because that opened, as you remarked yesterday, uh, fairly well for its opening in just New York and Los Angeles. What do you think it's going to do when it hits the the main circuit out there?
3: uh, We've got it at, you know, mid-20s opening weekend. It's doing this – next week it's going to 60 locations, so – bigger cities, whatever, and then the, the buzz is going to keep building. You know, I think, yeah, mid-20s opening weekend, I think it'll flirt with $100 million. Um, And I also think it's just going to be a pretty sizable global hit just because of the, the subject matter. Can um, I ask, you, so, um,
2: it, it so doesn't do any of the things that you guys love The Martian so much for. It's basically, <laughs> it's, about, it's about a shit. A shitty person who's really uh, seriously flawed, poorly put together, as he says at the end of the film. And then in the last five minutes, he decides that maybe he should be a little nicer, and maybe accept his biological daughter, who he's been denying throughout most of the film. And that's basically how it is. Oh, by the way, I've got a little bit of nice in me, and here it is, so we can end the film on a slightly up note. Why would people be particularly enthused about seeing a film like that?
3: It's a social network. I mean, yeah. like, what's the difference, really? I mean, I haven't seen Jobs yet, but is it that? Is he that much more of a? Is he portrayed as that much more of a dick in it than Mark Zuckerberg yeah. is? Really? Yeah. Okay. Because so,
2: Mark Zuckerberg, at least, is a kid who's who's got a great idea, and you kind of want to love the idea of a of a guy just out of college, you know, blowing the commercial world away and becoming a real, uh, m- you know, mogul very quickly, and of course acting like a shit at the same time. But but this one. Well, is, if you want to.
3: I mean, if you want to break it down, it might tap into something of the the zeitgeist right now that is propelling Donald Trump. Not that I'm going to compare Steve Jobs to Donald Trump, but why do people like Donald Trump? Because they perceive him as a jerk that's going to, you know, come in and get things done. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Steve Jobs hits that same nerve with with people. It's also
1: so popular. Like, I was watching the Alex Gibney documentary about Steve Jobs and, and all the... The public support for him when he was going through cancer and when he died and everybody who uses an iphone and everybody who uses an ipad like he might not be a hero like a beloved god among us three but to a lot of people out there he is and they admire him and and want to follow him and want to be him and the thing about the sorkin film is it it yes it paints him as an asshole but it's so like surreal, the movie. It's not like a direct telling of just what an asshole he was, and if you want to find out, you can watch the Gibney documentary, the mm-hmm. horrible, horrible things he did in that movie. But, um...
2: You know, my favorite moment in the Gibney doc, and I'll let you go back to your point, when a guy's behind him taking video of, of Jobs, he did, he liked to only buy new Mercedes that did, so he wouldn't have to yeah, have no. license plates, <laughs> and he's right in the middle, and then the guy's watching him, and Steve Jobs drives solo into the Carpool lane.
1: Right, right. I said,
2: that's so funny. I just love that. that he drives did.
1: in the carpool lane and he parks in the handicap spot <laughs> every day. And people go up and take a picture of themselves with his car in the background. I mean, and he, he did a thing. They put a, a hiring freeze on anybody from any company getting hired by any other company. So it was like Google and Apple. They wouldn't allow their employees to be poached by other companies. And he actually got one woman fired because she went over to Wow. Google or something and got a job from working at Apple. Like that's, I mean, he was hardcore. The adopting thing and the daughter, that was like, that was probably the worst thing he ever did, but it was by no means the only terrible thing he ever did. Yeah. But at the same time, he's, you know, one of the great American entrepreneurs. and
2: I enjoyed and laughed more at the Gibney. Not that I'm supposed to laugh at the Sortsman uh, version, but I laughed and had a good time at the Gibney because it's so amusing that this guy was such a tech but it was it was funny that that he, you know, just pushed through and, and 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 nothing really stopped him from being who he was and and he was ended up as almost as he really was like when he died it was like the death of Lady Diana it was like the, almost the death of JFK it was like people were genuinely heartbroken and I think that's probably tell me what you think though, so, a lot of why people went this weekend they just feel this kinship this. Uh, closeness with him
3: well you know maybe but i mean this weekend you're dealing with you know people in new york and la so they they know a little bit more of the story i would bet than just your average person who uses the iphone and just thinks steve Mm -hmm. jobs was a genius and went on stage and made really cool speeches and that's all they know so i think what gets people talking about a movie like this is the very things that you guys just mentioned the fact that he was kind of a dick and a lot of people don't Really know that, and that's the kind of thing you walk out of the movie and say, "Wow, you know, I, can't, I didn't know that about Steve Jobs. I just thought he was a brilliant, you know, tech entrepreneur." So oh, right. it's okay. it's definitely going to have people buzzing, and and I think the Michael Fassbender performance is something that you know people want to see. And I mean, wh- I mean, where are you guys ranking that right now on the the best? I got to
2: tell you, I didn't enjoy uh, hanging with him that much. Uh, I didn't. There's there's it. It's actually can be very interesting when someone is portraying someone who's not uh, maybe admirable in, in terms of his human qualities, but he, he or she has uh, a fascinating, charismatic uh, quality. He just, just like them anyway, despite their being... I didn't particularly like him. I didn't like his, uh, his, his uh, personality, his manner. I didn't find uh, anything extra about the fact that he was just uh, very relentless and very kind of one-note, and, 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 and he didn't have... There wasn't a lot of depth to the guy that, that I felt... But it's interesting in that I thought he was totally fascinating when I read the, the, the script. So i got to say that I don't think that Fassbender's uh, performance was that galvanizing. Nice.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, you... I feel sort of the opposite. I, I When I first saw it in Telluride, I have to admit I was tired and I was sort of losing it for the last act. And so I didn't catch the last act the first time I saw it. And I thought, yeah, okay, that was fine and everything and good, but I know I have to see it again. And so when I saw it again... I think the third act for me and I know a lot of men don't agree with this it's probably a woman thing more more or less that uh you know when he does it does sort of come to be about him and his daughter and that relationship it um it humanizes him more and it makes it him a more interesting character and more than that you start to really feel sad that 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 he was dying and that this movie is sort of about a guy who was dying but at the same time I think the whole, the overriding thing about Steve Jobs that people either know or should know is that it's 100% Aaron Sorkin's thing. It's it's all his writing, totally his rhythm as a writer, um, celebrating him more than it does even Steve Jobs and Fassbender or any of them. It's all about Aaron Sorkin. So how Mm. much you like the movie is going to depend on how much you like his writing, you know, I think.
2: It's a very well-made, and I and I love the aggressive uh, uh, concept of not telling a traditional story, but just restricting the entire thing to three key presentations of three products in '84, '88, and '98. I thought that was I I love a movie that commits that kind of radical uh, approach, but uh, I still didn't feel that fulfilled at the end. And uh, but I'm saying that with complete respect for their intentions and that they went with something. As, uh, as, you know, off the, off, the, um, off the charts of this. So it's, yeah, know, so it's something I would, I would never tell someone, don't see it.
1: Right, sure. and I don't know if we're allowed to talk about the ending. Are we? Is that a spoiler? Because, um, warning to anybody listening, I'm about to give a huge spoiler, but I just want to say that the ending for me was like, it's not a huge spoiler. I mean, it's such a subtle thing, it doesn't even matter, but it's just something I noticed the second time I saw it, which is that his daughter basically, he never really looks at her in the eye. Like, they don't really have that connection. And the thing about a guy like Steve Jobs or any person that's, like, you know, high octane, type A, exceptional people. And they're, they're, you know there are people like that in the world that you come across. And when they turn their focus on you and they're just looking right at you, like, that is such a powerful thing to feel. And that, to me, is what that last yeah. shot was about. And that's why the second time through I just thought, wow. That uh-huh. really, I mean, that was Danny Boyle. That was definitely Danny Boyle, that moment. That, that is all him, the music and the, the crowd mm. and everything. And so, mm. yeah, I walked away the second time thinking, and the person that I saw it with did not like the movie at all, hated it, every second okay. of it, and is a huge Aaron Sorkin fan, by the way. Mm. So, um, But I loved it, You know, I have to say, after second mm-hmm. viewing. It's, it definitely won me over.
2: So, what do you think about *Pan*, Phil? That that is a <laughs> movie that, that's not doing too. Is I uh, no, I didn't even re, uh, look at it that closely, but I seem to remember something about it not doing too well this weekend or underperforming. What do you think um, about all that whole thing? Because nobody seems to like it on the critical side, but they. I guess the thought was that you know the families would would naturally go to it. Can you give us a rundown on what you understand is the Yeah, I mean I there
3: there are a couple things that, that went against it. Um, as crazy as this is to say, but yeah. The Adam Sandler animated movie was a massive hit. Hotel Transylvania 2. Uh-huh. And, you know... <laughs> um, so they can't kill Adam Sandler yet as long as he's in cartoon form. Right. Um, and, that you know, surprising. when you have something like that that families flock to and then another family movie right on top of it, it becomes a little difficult. Uh, mm. But, you know, with any reboot, you run the risk of, you know, are your core fans going to be in tune with this new version right and Mm -hmm. you look at the numbers this weekend and it's a resounding no you know it's people just aren't into it and it's it's kind of joe wright with a big you know canvas and he he tried to have his own vision in there and it just didn't fly commercially so in in that respect i guess it's kind of unfortunate because he's a good good filmmaker and i would like to have seen him you know have some big studio clout but I don't know what's going to happen after this in terms of what he'll be capable of getting made and whatever. You know, the
2: the irony is that I think that he was probably told in the wake of what I felt was the really brilliant Anna Karenina, which which basically um, um, set the entire film, in a sense, inside a a theater, inside a proscenium arch, with occasional uh, moments when the film would go outside the theater and go... To the country or side, of it, but basically it was a wonderfully uh, creative. Uh, and, and he was uh, told that that didn't fly, and you got to make something commercial. So, so go broad, make something that will make money, and everything will be balanced out. So that's probably why he chose to do this. I'm guessing. But I guess, it didn't, yeah. Didn't work I mean, either, so.
3: Sometimes I don't I, I don't get why certain directors are picked for, for projects like this. I look back at Darren Aronofsky and Noah, and I, I feel like that was kind of an awkward fit. And, and this also seems like an awkward fit. And then to me, it's like, well, the studios shouldn't be surprised when they don't have a winner, when they just let these very unique directors kind of, you know, do something that isn't commercially accessible with a big budget and everything like that. And they say, well, well why didn't this click? Well, of course it's not okay. going to click. So... And right. then you but you have other cases where, you know, you look at what happened with Christopher Nolan or other people where they get to the they get the call to the major leagues and they're just off and running, you know. Mm-hmm. So
1: what about the walk? Didn't you want to talk about that too? Oh yeah, yeah
3: we could go through that quick. Yeah, I, I I mean, you know, the ending's great and everything like that, but I think people are just confused about what that movie was. I think if you didn't right, see the right. documentary, um you know, you didn't, you just kind of were clueless about it. It's and, about and what's to be the
2: confused about. It's about the guy who walked across uh, on a wire between the two World Trade Center towers. That's it. What's the, where's the, where's the Yeah, conclusion? but most
3: people don't know that story. I mm-hmm. mean, and certainly not a lot of Joseph Gordon Levitt fans. I mean, that documentary, what year did that come out? That was like 2008. You know, that's. Uh,
2: correct, yes. And yeah, it won, so the that, won the Oscar, remember? Won the Yeah,
3: well, right, that's, that's seven years ago. I mean, to us, it's still like, we know it instantly, right? But mm-hmm. your average, you know, uh, Moviegoer might not know that or it, they might have seen the documentary and said well the documentary was great i don't feel like i need to see that and
2: time and again in this conversation we, we say the same thing which is that we people who pay some attention to movies as much as we can we live on a certain planet i call it planet uh, neptune and then the regular folks who you know, pay to see movies when they feel like going out. They live in the planet Uranus, and they don't do. They don't know anything, and they're submental, and they're and they're. Uh, well, no, I mean simple. that's
3: that's being dismissive, Jeff. I mean, let, let's do a science experiment where for for eight months of the year, uh, from let's say from May through to December thirty first, right? We take you off screening lists. Okay, you're not seeing anything
2: unless you're paying for it.
3: Okay, what are you going to go see? What are you going to pick? Do I ha- do I? Are get you going to see?
2: In this scenario, am I a person who who enjoys movies, or am I a Yeah, you could you could be the, the
3: same. You could be the same person you are now. Okay. Okay? Then I can you go know.
2: online. And I can read all all I want. I can read about things. And believe me, the stupidest person in the world ha- can at least discern that this is a movie about a daredevil who in a glorious moment, did one of those great, you know, human spirit moments where he walked between the two World Trade Center towers in 74. And he did it uh, in an outlaw fashion. And uh, and yet it was a great moment for, you know, for his achievement. And it made everybody feel good. It's, you know, it's like the Martian in a sense. And people completely, you're saying, now they don't know a thing about it. It doesn't register at all. And they're "Quote unquote," confused about what it could be about. Now, what does that say well, about the totality of people out there? And well,
3: it's been... it's that. That's not all of it. Let's let's back it up a little bit too. That you know, um, we spoke about this the other day, where you've got these three spectacle movies out right at the same time: Everest, The Martian, The Walk. It's bad placement. It, the, the three movies like that should not be hitting at the s- same time. You spread right those movies that. out, and Everest and The Walk are going to be much more successful. I don't think yeah. they would have been massive hits by any means, but they certainly wouldn't have disappointed the way they have. And and especially The Walk. The Walk is going to be one of the that's the biggest one of the biggest bombs of the year. Oh God. Sure. Well,
1: you know what about yeah. The Walk that we're not really talking about is the negative aspect of it, which I, I think I saw on your site, Jeff. Maybe somewhere I saw where or on Twitter or something where someone was saying that. Maybe people were just freaked out by the images of the the towers. Maybe they were, you know, sad. Maybe that made them feel weird on the heels of 9-11. Maybe it just was too much baggage. It didn't look like a fun movie to them. Uh, Maybe. I'm just saying. Maybe.
2: Yeah, I think if the sub-mental people out there probably do have that negative <laughs> association. Well, I don't but think again, you can have it both Life involves a certain engagement. But you, you know what, though, Jeff? You, you about things. You so can't have it about both ways. You're two-year-olds are going,
1: well, I don't like the look of those towers. No, that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> that's not true. You, got, you can't have it both ways. You can't be Hollywood and say, we're going to completely, or the Oscars, rather, not Hollywood. We're going to completely forget about all of you hardworking people who buy tickets to movies every dutifully every weekend because we don't think that we don't respect you. We don't like you. We don't want to deal with you. So we're just going to make movies that appeal to a very small group of people and they're going to win a bunch of statues and we're going to feel happy because we won Oscars. Well, then you can't turn around and say, You know, now we expect all those people to be interested in our movies.
2: We are only here on this planet for 80 years, or 85, or 75 years, or 90 years. You have to engage. You can't just sit there in your little membrane and shut everything out and say, Well, let me see. I got to go to work because I need the paycheck. Yeah, but that's dismissive too, Jeff. I mean, you've got got
3: people who are doing, you know, open heart surgery. Maybe they don't want to watch a serious, deadly serious movie at the end of their week. You know, it's like. It, just because people don't want to engage with tough movies doesn't mean they're stupid. Not that's a, that's such oh, a very broad movies. generalization.
1: There's one more thing to consider. I took Emma to see The Martian, and we went 3D IMAX, or maybe it was just 3D. I don't know. It was forty bucks for two people. I mean, if you're paying IMAX and 3D prices. You know, I think you're going to be a little bit more discerning about a good what you think is going to be a really positive. I mean, the Everest movie, everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people know that or not, but that's a bummer. You know, that's no, not no. a uplifting.
2: The thing is, you get with the Everest movie, if you have any brain power going at all, it's not that they, yes, we all know that people died in 96, but you get to climb Mount Everest in 3D IMAX. You get to actually do it. You'll never go. I'll never go there, probably. And
1: uh, know, Yeah, but be, think about a family of five. How much that's going to cost them to go to a movie? Let's I say. I completely
2: understand five. that. That is true. That is a very expensive proposition. I get it.
1: But yeah, I
3: mean, with Everest, I mean, I'm just as mystified as you are, Jeff, in a sense, because I, I, th- we thought that was going to be much bigger because, of. It. I think it's a great movie, and I also thought it had. You know, when I saw it at a screening, they combined the media with, you know, loyal customers of Regal and everything like that, and those people really liked it, and I said, "Wow, this this plays," but. It just, you know, the the combination of um, some people thinking it was a downer and maybe skipping it for that reason, combined with you know feeling like, well, if I don't see it on IMAX, then I'm not getting the true experience, so maybe I should just not even go see it. And then also again, the the Martian. No, that that's a real thing because yeah. the IMAX thing has. Mm-hmm. It has its drawbacks. you know. For a movie like Martian or Gravity... It, well, no, sorry, Martian's not in IMAX, but like Gravity, where IMAX propelled that and made it so much bigger than it was. Mm. But at the same sense, if it's a movie that doesn't really work as well in 2D or, or something like that, some people just might stay home. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to remember what Sasha's talking about, you know, the choices and then how pick you are. I mean, the national average is still four times a year that people go to the movies. And you have to really think about that in terms of, well, what choices are they going to make? Right. And two of those or three of those might come during the summer, you know? So it's... It's, it, it's a tricky balance. And I tell you, they're
1: all going to come out to see The Martian because people are going to keep telling them to go see it. Like, And they know that it's a good movie. So you've got a good recommendation from people you know that you're not going to be wasting your hard-earned money on a movie. I couldn't believe a $40 for two people that was so expensive. That's a lot
2: of money. I agree. Yeah.
1: So, um, But, well, I got you here, Phil. I got to ask you something because I think I'm the sure. only human on the planet who's been watching this. But, um <laughs> because every time i bring it up people say well it's not adjusted for inflation but jurassic world is at it's still playing in the theaters and it's at 651 million right now domestic if it gets yes. to 656 or 658 or something it beats titanic and oh really? I'm just wow. wondering if you think that it's. But it's- that's in that's- 2015
2: dollars, remember? I
1: right? know, but still, I mean, we don't look at all-time box office and, and adjust for inflation. Otherwise, Gone with the Wind always comes in top. <laughs> I don't think people want to do that, but let me look at exactly how much Jurassic World has- or uh, yeah, Jurassic World's at 651 and Titanic's at 658. So it's almost gonna. I mean, do you think it can get there? Probably not, right? Because it's just making. No, no, because
3: bit- I'm yeah. I mean, it, it'll be gone. By next weekend, if it you know, whatever locations it has left are going to be gone very very soon. Right. Um, so yeah, but the, I mean that's kind of a crazy stat, I, I guess. But you know, I, I think this is one one situation where definitely you know the adjusted for inflation is entirely relevant. Right. You know, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes this time it, it definitely is. I mean, because Titanic of higher just, ticket
1: prices, you mean? And
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean. It, yeah, it's, it's a minor stat in, in that sense. Because
1: Titanic was so long ago, right? And for it to have made that much money that long ago is pretty is still re- remarkable. Um. Yeah,
3: absolutely. It just means way more people – well, not way more, but a, a lot more people went to, to see that. And if you look at what Titanic did, I mean, that was number one for something like – I forget what it was tw- – maybe 20 weeks or, or something crazy like that. It just was yeah. completely – the the kind of dominance that we're just never gonna see again. Now we're now we're lucky if a movie's number one for for three weeks. That's right. a huge accomplishment. It just that doesn't happen anymore. Right. So,
1: and I yeah. think I think if you adjust it for inflation, it goes. It probably drops way 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 down the list. Um, I don't know, but I'm imagining that the Jurassic World would drop. Not Titanic, but Jurassic World would drop way down, and Titanic would still stay high probably. You know,
2: I just yeah exactly. to interject because I'm I seem to be the only voice of realism here. <laughs> Uh, Jurassic World was an awful movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I'm you guys don't want about... to sound you don't want to sound like misanthropes. You want to be you know <laughs> accepting of the world. And you want to be upbeat people. So you say you don't even mention that it's terrible that people have no taste in going to see this thing big <laughs> well, time.
1: I know, but does it? I'm talking I'm about the, one,
2: the. I get to be the sore head who points out the reality, which is that it's terrible, you and can... people have no taste. And throughout the decades, they keep going to popular movies that they want to see. Fine.
1: I such... think you're not paying attention to the way things are moving, which is exactly as Steven Spielberg and George Lucas once foretold, is that they're going to become, because movies are so expensive, and because they make so much money, look at Jurassic World, for instance, internationally, not just domestically, they make money all over the world, because people want to see spectacle, they want to see something they've never seen before, and that makes the difference between shelling out money on a weekend, and not shelling out money, as we were just all talking about. Obviously, the message for the Everest and for the walk didn't get out, because... If people knew that what they were seeing with the walk was something they've never seen before. That was a
2: knockout, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. really, that was a terrible movie, but that last 25 minutes, I swear to God, I would tell anybody on the street, you really mm-hmm. should see it for that last.
1: Somehow you know, that message didn't hour. get out, and people yeah. didn't feel like paying money to see something they've never seen before. But I tell you, it's a lot more thrilling than Jurassic World special Definitely. effects, you yeah. know? But Absolutely. I'm just saying, like, maybe maybe they thought it was going to be some kind of movie that was just a sad, weird drama, and they didn't know that it was this great special effect, maybe it, the best of the year.
2: Because they can't be bothered to find out if it's a sad, weird drama. They just sit there and they instinctively. Well,
3: it's not even that. Like, well, no, it. It. It's the, they, they, they already it. know they want to go see The Martian.
2: You know right.
3: they, exactly. They, it's, it's like it's they were literally right on top of each other. The walk expanded last uh, the week uh, weekend before the Martian
1: right You're that's right. just
3: that just shouldn't happen. that kind of competition is just not good. that makes sense so. yeah that's right. so
2: that's a sensible assessment of what what happened yeah, yeah. yeah. can I just ask you one before uh, we we are doing right now um uh, a whole thing with Love and Mercy people. They had a big uh, interview thing yeah. that we did at the Capitol Records building, and we're having a luncheon with them tomorrow. And there's a Brian Wilson performance at a place called Vibrato up in uh, up in um, Benedict uh, Canyon. Uh, I mean uh, Beverly Glen tomorrow night. So everybody's yeah. sort of getting back in the spirit. That movie barely penetrated. I mean, it was com- all but ignored by mainstream. Would you say that's
3: a fair thing? Yeah, and here I'm going to – you're giving me a chance to get on my soapbox here for a second. And and Love and Mercy is a great way to do that because what worries me is that the the public's being trained with these early – the simultaneous VOD releases where a a serious drama is available like Beasts of No Nation on Netflix at the same time as theaters, right? So they're being trained to think that, okay, serious drama – uh, I don't have to go see that in theaters. I can just watch that at home. It's probably right. going to v- be available at home really quickly. And that is seriously dangerous for people like us who value those mid-range, you know, $30, $40 million budgeted movies that are Oscar contenders that really, you know, get us excited because studio, you know, it's it's hard to be in the business of that because it's making less sense. But luckily you've got people are always stepping to the forefront. There's always going to be money for those movies, even if it's not at the major studios. So mm-hmm. people like STX, um, A24, Broadgreen, the, the studio that released A Walk in the Woods, mm-hmm. You know, they're stepping up now to fill that void in. But it's important for everybody to, to make sure you actually go to see these movies like Love and Mercy when they're in theaters and pay to see them or else you're just gonna start you're gonna have to start watching them at home and that to me is entirely depressing so yeah. I'll step off my soapbox now but I feel like that's something that the two of you guys could could get behind and relate to you know
1: oh totally and I also think that people who are like, complaining about suffragette all this like bitch biting about suffragette I thought you know all these people that are complaining they better have bought a ticket to a movie that they do support like last week or the week before if they if they're not out there putting their money to support movies like uh-huh. Beyond the Lights, for instance, that had a, you know a great black female lead, it was a really good movie, but it only made fourteen million. So, you know, you gotta you gotta just stop tearing things down and try to help build things up. You have to pay. Yep. I mean, money talks. Whatever you pay for at the box office, that's what you're gonna keep seeing more of. And they keep giving these superhero movies and these effects-driven movies because that's what people are paying to see. You know? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So. All right, cool. Well, I'll let you guys uh, do the Savannah talk and, and all the other Oscar talk, and it was That's awesome to be back. Great, you
1: might be great talking to oh. you, Phil. <laughs> yeah, let's let's
3: talk offline, Jeff, and see if we can connect while you're there.
1: Sure. So, okay. All right, okay. Cool. All right, all right, right. thanks Bye. again, guys. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye. All right.
2: So um, can we, Sasha? Yeah. So can we talk about uh, what happened, uh, just review a little bit what happened with the Joy thing? I thought it interesting to rehash just one yeah. more time. So let's review what happened with Joy. The, the initial okay. reaction, um, all I said, you said, I want to make something clear to anyone reading this, you said that I will post anything from anybody who attends one of these research <laughs> And I am like the whore. Who says, oh, no, not the whore.
1: You just Here don't stick to the, it's, it's, to the rules that everybody else does, which is don't report on test screenings. You know, we don't, I don't ever, hardly ever. Because... But it
2: happened. It went, it didn't, there wasn't imaginary. And what I said was, let's just be very clear. Uh, I said, I don't know anything other than the fact that it was research. That's what I know. But I can say right. that the response so far, and I, and I said, let's qualify this. Is it okay I said, is it okay if I say the response from, what, two or three guys is encouraging? That's all I said.
1: And you were right, because it wasn't a pub, It wasn't a plant. You know, a lot of times these guys are plants. Yeah, that, they, that, that can in. be, yes. This exactly. was a verifiable person. Same with the Django and Chain guy. Both of them were verifiable. Yep. Um, and one was a longtime reader, and one was, you know, the guy at Awards Watch, whoever he was. Or or he gave it to Awards Watch. Either way, um, I, the reason— Eric that, Anderson, you mean. It, it, he wasn't the one who saw it though. Someone else on his site saw it and sent it to him. Okay. So, but he claims that the person's trustworthy and uh, not a shill because think of how easy it would be to spin if you were a shill wanting to get exactly. wanting to override the buzz that Joy was going to be pushed to next year, right. and you wanted to change the conversation. If you don't remember the line from is it uh, what's the line what movie is it where if you don't like what's being said change the conversation oh it's game change mm-hmm. if you don't like what's being said change the conversation so you can't undo what they're saying about you but you could make them talk about something else so it could have been a shill like situation but it wasn't because it was it was verifiable um, right. so just in general I'm saying that that stuff doesn't get sent to people like Ann Thompson or Chris Tapley or me because they know we won't post it. But what I mean is they have an open door with you and they and you will post it, you know. I like even if it was verifiable to me, I probably wouldn't have posted it just because I sort of never post on those things. I just have gotten in the habit of it from old school. But in this I case, I think I
2: sufficiently qualified it by saying three people obviously says not a community or a consensus make, but it happened and there seems to be some real excitement seems yeah. to be some real excitement all i said i agree that other, with that other people also <laughs> chimed in in that thread and said i saw it i thought it was actually pretty good i didn't think it was as great as those guys but i thought it was pretty good and yeah. then somebody else said well i'm not a big uh, a friend of mine saw it and he he's not a big david or russell fan he didn't like it that much you know so oh. it, it's it's you know clearly it connected it but brought, it's not... it, it definitely
1: uh, brought up a good conversation i wish i had read all those comments but see that's what i'm thinking and this is the problem with overhyping a movie. And it's not our job to manage hype or expectations. It's the publicist's job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Chris was saying, if they're letting this kind of stuff happen Mm -hmm. and they're letting people see movies that are going to then blab, you know, and it's going to become a story where they can't control it anymore, that inflates expectations. And people walk into a movie like Joy, whereas they had no expectations before and they're thinking, oh, it's just going to be a David O. Russell movie with Jennifer Lawrence. Now they're thinking... This is what people are saying is going to win Best Picture? I don't think it's that good.
2: Remember now, the context. You're not delivering the context to people who have not been following this. Only days, very few days before. When was the Jane Fonda thing? Was that last weekend or the weekend before? I can't remember now.
1: Me either. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it was
2: last weekend, wasn't it? Last Saturday? I think it
1: was last weekend. Yes, yes. It was one week ago, correct.
2: And and everybody, uh, Mr. Feinberg, Mr. Tapley, Mr. Hammond, they were all. everybody was kicking things around yep. about, about uh, is it true what we're hearing that joy might not even open that can't be the case i mean they they've got it down there for a is 20th century fox it's david o russell he they've been saying forever on in trailers that it's going to be at the end of the year it's a christmas release right the uh, concurrent which is interesting by the way when you think about it 20th century fox has uh has the revenant and joy and what's the third I one know. they have the martian the martian they've got three <laughs> big movies you know, all uh, that are going to be likely, probably. Who knows? Uh, I know. You
1: know and but... when was the last time that happened for Fox? Like it hasn't, it hasn't happened. And and we know the Revenant is going to be in there. We mm-hmm. know Joy is going to be in there. And the Martian, I think, is the surprise one. Like I don't. I think it's still questionable. People aren't really sure it's going to actually go or not. I think it. Ann Thompson thinks it will. I think mm-hmm. it will. Katie Rich thinks it could win and win Best Picture.
2: I think it'll be nominated. I'll give you that. But it's not going to win. It just can't.
1: It depends on what it's up against. But I agree that it's a long shot for a comedy to win Best Picture. I mean, the last See, one
2: you just called it a comedy. I wouldn't necessarily call it that. I would say it was flavored, or peppered, or seasoned with topical humor to make people relax and have a good time with it. But it's not a comedy. It has jokes. I think
1: it. it will be classified as a comedy at the Golden Globes, and I yeah, I, think I, will... I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we'll see about that. But anyway, Joy is now qualified as drama at the Golden yeah. Globes. That means that it's got to go up against The Revenant. It's got to go up against Spotlight. It's got to go up against Carol. And Brooklyn, Brooklyn is like Taylor, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing it's going to be right up their street, the kind of movie that they absolutely love.
2: Very well done, Joan. It's it's, it really is. A, I can't think of anyone um, <clears throat> taking that movie down or or saying anything strong against it. It's so well-rendered.
1: Yeah. And the problem with joy in comedy is that, or in drama, is that it, it could have aced the, joy, the comedy category. It could have won that in a walk. But being put in drama, it's, it's, it's up against some pretty hardcore competition. I don't so, know.
2: So let's return to the context. The context was last weekend at Santa Barbara with a lot of people. The talk was maybe, who knows. I mean, I, I called the uh, representative of, of the film and David o. Russell says, is, this, is there anything to this possibly that it's not even going to come out this year? And, and the response right back was, forget it. It's coming out it's, and they're sticking to it. And by all means, check with 20th Century Fox. It's coming out on twelve twenty-five. So that was the end of it. But that was at least being kicked around, and that was so. And then what? Two days later, three days later, all of a sudden, it's not. It's number one. It's not a peppy kind of Silver Linings Playbook kind of half comedy, you know, spirited, you know, have a good time. Mm. But it's but it's a heavier, darker piece about struggle and having to, you know, uh, you know. Pers- you know, keep keep going with uh, with kids, and you know you're the you're the only breadwinner, and you're trying to get this product uh, out there on the market, and it's tough. Uh, you know, it. So it was number number one. It's a it's a drama, more much more of a drama than anything with with humor, and number two, it it's really good in the view of some very few uh, number of people. Uh, But it's supposed to be really good. So Mm -hmm. that was quite a turnabout for a movie that might not come out to might be, you know, might be a a major Oscar.
1: It makes you wonder, like, was someone trying to sabotage the movie? Was it was it being was that sort of a a rumor that they were trying to get out that maybe the movie was in trouble or there was something wrong with it? Uh, I know that Mm -hmm. the Oscar game is a dirty game and I know that the publicists are incredibly ferocious and that they're you know because their their money depends on what gets nominated and so they will fight uh-huh. and uh i just wonder if if that's what the where that came from because as far as i know they were all systems go because i signed an rfp with with them for joy mm-hmm. and so i knew it was coming out why would they do that if they didn't know that the right. movie was coming out and that was a long time a while ago right so i'm just wondering where that rumor came from i'd love to know where it came from and who said it you know um
2: I'm, I guarantee it was somebody with, um, uh, if there's any way that they can pass along the notion that something might not come out, that doesn't mean anything because if it's going to come out, it's going to come out. So just spreading a rumor that it might not come out gets people thinking, well, maybe there's yeah, something a little exactly. wrong with it. Maybe it's not as good as it should be or could be. And then they see it and it is what it is. So it doesn't really hurt it for people to say that. I don't know why anybody thinks there's that some kind of, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> some kind of, uh, Rumor that's going to hurt. Just, I mean, it, again,
1: it just makes people start to think, question, is there something wrong with it? So yeah. that, that question, who knows? But um, mm-hmm. instead of it's a robust, it's ready to go. And remember, it already had rumors of them fighting on set and stuff like that. But Which
2: Jennifer Lawrence uh, very quickly said, you know, shut that stuff down. You know, we we're just... You know, we're creatively, uh, uh, you know, abrasion is part of the process. Yeah, we sure. argue, we we chew things out, and then we go on and, and we make it work. You know? I can
1: just hear them talking to each other in a funny way, like the way, you know, like, Jennifer, what do you know? The way she would talk back to him and someone would misinterpret that as them fighting. And it's not mm-hmm. them fighting. It's just the banter between them, you know. All right. But um, But I think just to be... a a gross feminist for a minute but i think it would be really cool to to have a woman a film starring a woman win best picture that would be the first time since 2002 when chicago won that a film driven by a female character actually won so i'm i'm in joy's corner and i hope that it does well you know Mm
2: -hmm. yep Um, and i and i hope it does too and i think that uh, uh, I, I, it seems like it's more like the fighter is what it sounds like. You know, the fighter right. wasn't comedic at all. That was that was about struggle also. So if it's on that level, it'll be great.
1: Oh God, Perfect. I hated that movie so much. Why? Why did you hate I it? I just I thought that the acting was. Overboard and melodramatic. I hated the sisters, and I couldn't stand. I, there's nothing about that movie that I liked. But Quentin
2: Tarantino made a point of saying that the sisters are what made it genuine. That they were not yeah. that attractive, that they were scrappy, but they felt real. And and this is the kind of thing that Ben Affleck never would have put in. For instance, the town. He, right, he had right. only people that are cool. And, and that's a really Or, good or, point. or gangsterish yeah. or threatening. You know, he's
1: absolutely right. And nobody casts as well as David O. Russell, and nobody works with actors as well as he did. It just that movie, I just thought it was so melodramatic and badly managed and, and just a mess. And I was surprised that it did as well as it did. But um, So I hope Joy is better. I think with Jennifer Lawrence in the lead, it's got to be, you know. Um,
2: The reason that uh, sometimes it it may not seem to people like David – because David Russell likes to really throw the lettuce leaves up in the air. He's got a – he isn't a lockdown Hitchcockian type of director. He really does like to find the moment in the midst of the chaos, I think. Mm. Uh, That's, I think, a mark of a really great director who's willing to, you know – take new ideas or, or, or go with a certain mood or recut something at the last minute. So I think that's probably, you know... Yeah, just he's, he's, he's like, you know. John
1: Cassavetti's like in that way, you know. He's yeah. he's jazz as a director, he's jazz. And I'm definitely someone who likes more beethoven kind of directing, you know, where it's everything is meticulous and planned out because um, I like to dig down into movies and find deeper meaning in all of the scenes and and when a movie's sloppy like that and it's just anything goes I can understand why certain people I, I can understand why people love those movies mm. but to me I like a more pinned down plot um, with deliberate you know uh, deliberation, like a spincher movie, for instance, and mm. even Sorkin's movie, which seems all over the place, but is very medi- meticulous, and every yes. line is considered, mm. so yeah, I think that, uh, I think that it's an interesting launch for joy, this whole thing, and I don't mm. think that it's good for, you know, Eric and I definitely depart, we should have him on the podcast, by the way, he wants to come on our podcast, we should invite him on. Let's do it, let's do it. Um, anytime you're ready, he'll be ready. He just would sure. love to do it, but um, he can talk about joy. But he, he doesn't I, sound
2: like that crazy guy to me. Oh no, no, he's I, funny. He's <laughs>
1: great. But the, the, we have a very different approach to the Oscars, which is that he, you know, he was thinking LeMiz was going to win every Oscar. I think that he likes to. It he did he?
2: Did he say that over and over?
1: Yeah, fact, sure. Oh,
2: oh, after seeing it, because that's crazy. No, not, that, not
1: after seeing it. Oh. But um, but the thing is, is I think that for him, he doesn't see it as. You know, he and Chris Tapley actually both agree on this. They don't see anything that gets done in our world as affecting the Oscar race at all. Like he doesn't think that if we lift the hype and, and make things um, you uh-huh. know highly buzzed or whatever, that it's going to affect the perception of the movie. But I actually think that it does. I think that it really does make it positions the movie to what people are supposed to think walking in. And because they don't like us, and they don't like critics. They, t- I think, voters tend to sort of be resistant to things that are really, you know, lift up and lifted up and hyped by by the precursors in this whole insane industry that we're part of.
2: I don't like them either, you know, because, uh, yes, like I was talking to you yeah, about, I don't like about them certain either, academy right. members. <laughs>
1: the feeling's <you> know, mutual.
2: <laughs> all that, all that great buzz for Spotlight and Telluride, and 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 then and then it comes back here, and they show it at that screening where you which you attended that Lisa Tabak arranged and you said that like people weren't asking that many questions and they're right, kind of slumping in their seats and they're kind of a low energy crowd i hate people that are low energy you're going to get in- involved and engaged and like you know let us know what you're feeling open up your pores you know be right. a human being Don't just sit there and say, it's all right. Uh, You know, it didn't do it for me.
1: Right. You're just dealing with so much baggage with Academy members because they're all people who worked in the industry. So you're dealing Mm -hmm. with who they're friends with, who, who, you know, didn't give them a job, who they're resentful of, you know, who they like, who they want to sleep with, like – it's mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like, the last thing Academy members are are film lovers. You know what I mean? Like, they're not there because they love movies. They're there because they work in the industry and they got into the Academy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're that they're in love with films, you know, all of them in every category and every brand. I'm sure some of them are. I'm sure the directors, maybe some of the actors, some of the writers. But, you know, it's most like, of them. It's like you're
2: a, you're a priest. Do you Are you there? Are you in part of the – join the cloth because you feel a profound – uh, connection with the eternal, with the scheme, with God, with mathematics, science—you feel something profound coming right. between yourself. And yet, you just—if uh, you don't feel that way about movies, why are you even in the game? Because you made money at it, because you enjoy well, the parties. Well, How sh- shallow exactly. can you get?
1: It's a huge privilege to be part of the Academy. It's not just the movies. It's—I mean, you see those Academy yeah. events. You're treated like a king. When I went to the Oscars, right. they were treated like royalty from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave the, the food, the drinks, the access, the, the, everything right. it was fancy dress. Fa- I mean, you were treated like Royal elite when you walk mm-hmm. in there. So I'm sure nobody wants to give that up, you know, whether all it means is they have to watch a few movies at the end of the year and fill out their ballots and they can do that.
2: I enjoy the being treated. Well, when I go to these events, like uh, when we go to the thing at Craig's tomorrow and then I, brought, I love that whole thing. I love going to Middleburg. i love going to Savannah. It's a wonderful lifestyle. Uh, But the the core of it is all I'm saying. The reason you got into it, and I've gotten into it, is because of the love and the spirituality and the transportation. And if you don't feel that, as as a lot of people, clearly they're very marginal about that. They just don't seem to feel it or get it. They're Mm -hmm. not engaged. Uh,
1: And therein lies the conflict of being an Oscar blogger. I could just hear the people on your site going, oh, poor me, (laughs) poor you, have to be an Oscar (laughs) blogger. But it's true, it's like, it's just frustrating if you're somebody who really cares about rewarding the best film of the year. Like if, if that's what you're thinking that the Oscars are, you're going to be beating your head against the wall every year because that's not what it's about, and you know it, you know it. So, um, so yeah, that, that those are the people that we're dealing with every year. We're not dealing with any other group except these people, right? Uh-huh. Um, and that's why you see that even the Producers Guild and the Directors Guild and SAG are all evolving around the uh-huh. Academy. The is the one that's that's holding things back, but because they're old, they're old timers.
2: Yeah, and they said, <clears throat> you think at least they could intellectually acknowledge, well, yes, we are sort of, uh, but then, then again, our viewpoint has valid is validity, and we've been at this for many decades, and we know our stuff, and therefore you have to listen to us, or you don't know, we don't care if you you don't listen to us, but this is what we think, and you can't put us down just because we've been around for a while.
1: Yeah, know? right. So, anyway, so there so, you go.
2: So let's uh, just wrapping up. i was just going to say it's wonderful that you and I are going to be able to do a, uh, a podcast together from Savannah in That'll the same room fun. if we won. You know, uh, we're going to maybe be there we'll do it
1: live same... like we did last time in front of an audience. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Let's yeah, do that. Yeah. Let's try to do it live and invite people.
2: Sure. You mean people we meet and and get them all together in a room and do it on Saturday? you're thing, something you're saying? like that. Or?
1: Yeah, we could get a bunch of film students together and if they feel like it and, and watch That's a good idea. That might I be like kind that. of fun. We're also gonna go see a plantation. <laughs> I want to rent a car and go mm-hmm. drive out and see a Georgia plantation. So I hope we. I'm toying with the idea of just renting a car for the whole time. You know. To avoid the whole shuttle situation, because last time I went, I had to wait forever to get there. Shuttle.
2: shuttle, shuttle to where? There's nothing to shuttle to. It's just the the Scad theater is right down the street from no, the from hotel. the
1: airport. From the airport to the Scad, like we had to wait. I had to wait like four hours or something for the for the.
2: Um, you did really?
1: Yeah, for the Scad people to come and pick us up and take us back to the hotel, something like that. It was a long. Wait, oh. as I recall, but so I was toying with it, but I don't know if it's worth paying, you know, all that money for for days that you know I'm just not going to be using the car. So
2: you definitely were not going to be using it once you're in town, that's for sure. No,
1: you park it, and that's well, just to drive out to the it. plantation. That would be the only time I would, and then back to the airport. But the thing I like about having my own car is I like to just be on my own time. I don't like to depend on other people for time.
2: If you're willing to lay out a little bit of money, just lay out for a cab. Don't wait for the SCAD people if you want it. It's not that far from Savannah Airport to downtown. It's about a 20, 25-minute ride. It won't be that bad.
1: Right, right. Maybe I'll do that then because I I just don't like that because time-wise, I don't like depending on people. I'd rather just be, here's my keys. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, rent, um, the rental
2: we, sh- uh, you need, we need to invest in, of course, is bicycles, and that's the thing we've got to both get. Right,
1: right. You like to do that. You did that before you rode around Savannah on a bike.
2: Do it's you know which way to go? to
1: go, or do you just, like, re- meander around on the streets?
2: No, I know where everything is. I know where the big parks are. I have my favorite cafe, which is up north of the whole historic district. A, a wonderful place with big, tall ceilings and, mm. and delicious cakes and coffee. Just sit out there. It's wonderful. Oh, it's nice. a great vibe, you know? Well,
1: okay, good. Well, let's do that.
2: So, um, and then, um, so, so this um, week, oh, yeah, the last topic would be uh, the four films that are opening on the 16th, which is uh, right around the corner. And, Broom, uh, Truth, Bridge of Spies, Beasts of No Nation. Beasts of No Nation, we're in complete agreement. It's one of the, probably easily one of the most profound and, and well-made, uh, and symphonic films of, of 2015. And then Bridge of Spies, which is going to, uh, probably appeal to, uh, probably a 35 plus probably audience, 40
1: plus. Maybe, maybe even 40 plus, but like, you know, that, that movie's going to do really well with, uh, I hate to use this term, forgive me, but flyover states, like people who are, you know, still interested in the Cold War. Okay. And then Spielberg fans, you know, he has a he has a huge fan base of people who just love his movies, younger people, younger Spielberg fans. But and Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, of course, is a big box office draw. But I mean, it's not going to be like The Martian. It's not going to make that kind of money, but it, it'll do a decent amount. Um I don't we should ask Phil how much he thinks it's going to do because I have no idea. I'm terrible at box office stuff, but
2: I think he's. Um, there's something, um, unfortunately, it feels rote, it feels a little lazy that once again, uh, this uh, actor, Tom Hanks, who, we've, who was our Jimmy Stewart, our, the, the man who plays uh, the, the, the good American, the front porch American, mm. the, the man of trust and character, decency, endless decency, gets to play once again. A man of trust, a man of decency, no. <laughs> a, a good fellow, a guy you trust, a, a, ni- a nice man, a, a reliable man. You know, uh, it's it's very lazy. It's just it's. I, I, I understand that makes sense in a certain when you want somebody who people are going to invest in. But I just felt that no, certainly no stretch for Tom Hanks, and I know that he's has stretched and hasn't worked out as well for him when he did, for instance, the, the Wachowski movie, and he, and when he did the. Um, lady killers with the Coen's. I understand he's got to stick to what works for him, but
1: yeah, you know, uh, George Clooney kind of gets the parts that Tom Hanks would be getting. um, (laughs) If George Clooney didn't exist, Uh but, um, Uh but I love Tom Hanks. I can't deny it. I just think that when you're going for that kind of character, he's, he is the on the nose choice for sure, but he's Uh reliable and he does exact, I think he did more in bridge of spies than he had to do. Like anybody could have played that part. Um, Um, whoever the guy was who played LBJ and Selma, what's his name again? Tom Wilkinson could have yes. played mm-hmm. that character. He's also that kind of guy, you know? Right,
0: right. Um,
1: but, but Hanks, I think, makes makes it a comfortable, enjoyable film all the way through because he's, su- he's such a warm and friendly presence. And mm-hmm. it's not like it's the most exciting movie you're ever going to see. So it has to, it has to be a charismatic actor mm-hmm. in that part. But, um, right. but yeah, there are going to be a lot of Americans who want to see that movie for sure.
2: And also, Truth will open, and I don't know how big it's going to open, whether they're going to start it out smaller. Oh, Um, my God. I don't have it in front of me, but I know that a third article came out, as you pointed out to me, you forwarded it to me, and it was basically the CBS corporate people saying that the the movie is riddled with uh, inaccuracies. So I did
1: some digging, and I found that they said the exact you know a similar thing about the insider they they also deflected off of that. So I knew I could find a story that where the you would get CBS because I'm I'm planning on writing an article about it but oh, I know good. that you didn't you probably didn't watch that Times Talk.
2: Uh yeah, I did actually. All, all the way yeah. through? Um well, actually no. Uh okay, two so thirds of it, you know, a lot of you, it. I think you
1: might have missed Because you didn't comment on it, but that Mm -hmm. reporter is really snippy to them. She's like, um,
2: "Oh yeah, she wanted them to admit that they're." So much so that
1: an audience member at the end stands up and says, "Like, what's your problem?" And Mm -hmm. she says, "She says back, you know, she says back, like, she's like, well, I was just watching the movie, and you know, these reporters let this thing happen, and and that does mess with the story. That does mess with the truth, and." Mm-hmm. and and the woman said well don't don't you even consider the fact that there was like a corporation behind this doesn't that even bother you and and i, I can't remember what her response was but the uh-huh. audience like laughs uncomfortably and she looks out at them like why are they laughing like that because obviously she didn't realize that the audience wasn't with her the uh-huh. audience was with the people on stage and they were completely on her so- on their side like and that. so she was just kind of it was a really weird, awkward moment. I've never really seen a Q and A reporter like go after the people on stage as much as she did to them. And that's what I'm gonna write about. Like I it was pretty pretty crazy to see that. Like she definitely was not i going to give them an inch. She obviously believed 100%. She was a Marlo Stern and a Scott Feinberg.
2: Really yeah, yeah. She for said, these, these, this is not fair. These guys have to be condemned. Mm-hmm. We cannot embrace a movie.
1: And we're not even st- going to consider st- the possibility that that story, the, the Bush story, was a bigger story. Like, we're not mm-hmm. even, because we're journalists and we're insulted and we don't want to be. And it's the same year, the same newspaper, the New York Times had one of the biggest journalistic blunders that I've ever seen in the newspaper, which is the Hillary Clinton story that they completely flubbed, that they completely got wrong. And I don't know how you act like that when you write for a paper that made such a huge mistake. And you're going to talk about how mistakes never get made.
2: You're talking about a New York Times report that said that the FBI was looking into criminal possible activity. legal problems with her email no, account. No, they said
1: criminal activity and they were 100% wrong. And they were played by a by a Republican um, uh-huh, strategist. Uh-huh. So they had to apologize and retract And they were written about by every other outlet saying, how could the New York Times, you know, have made such a huge mistake? And on the heels of that, she's going to come after these guys and say, you know, yeah, you can't make mistakes like that. Well, Mm -hmm. I know, but obviously mistakes happen. She also got the uh, all the president's men thing wrong because she said that they didn't make any mistakes. And then Dan Rather has to correct her later on and say, but, you know, her.
2: Did he correct her about the Holloman thing? Did yeah. Did he bring mm-hmm. that
1: up? He does, and in fact, okay. it looks like they're reading your site because I know they're not reading my site, but they're probably reading your site because they talk about all the things that you and I have talked about, about Ben Bradley sticking by the um, mm-hmm. his his writers, where right. the CBS right. people completely caved and didn't stand by their writers and didn't mm-hmm. say we might have made a mistake. And, and Mary Mapes says, and Dan Rather says, that the the documents were only a tiny part of the evidence. They weren't all the evidence that they had. It's just that people were focusing on the documents and nothing else in the Mm -hmm. story, you know.
2: Right, right. well uh, that now i'm going to go back and read all you so you're saying this happens within the last what 10 minutes or 15 minutes
1: it's during the q a and you can watch the reporter's face she just looks humiliated because that woman Mm. takes her to task she could tell what i could tell which was i was thinking what the fuck Mm. is this lady's problem like i've never Mm -hmm. seen and you know people might make the argument well she's actually a real journalist she's not there doing a puff piece but you know what you don't do Mm -hmm. those times talks to be a uh, a real journalist the uh-huh. times talks are like I mean David Carr used to do them you know they're they're like Elvis Mitchell interviewing you know they're they're not meant to be you know uh, hardcore attacks at the people that they're yeah
2: um, it so. supposed to be a little love fest and it does.
1: is but oh. I mean you can't come down on her for that for being a quote-unquote real journalist but the thing was was I think she was wrong mm-hmm. okay and so did the audience clearly you know and and Kate Blanchett jumps in afterwards and says see there's the conversation like she's trying to like Help the the awkward situation, <laughs> because it was, it was so it's so palpably awkward that moment, you know. Mm-hmm. But,
2: so the, and also on the sixteenth, uh, room has this moment of truth, uh, which I probably I, I am I am anticipating, given uh, the reaction to it in Toronto, given that woman allegedly, uh, to go by the word of my academy friend, uh, weeping in the in the lobby after after seeing some of it. Um, this is going to either. Uh, in, you know, ignite a lot of emotion on the parts of certain audience members. It's going to have a certain reaction that's going to be definitely noticeable, or it's going to be, who knows? But I don't know how big it's opening. Again, I I should have done my homework, but I haven't. But I'm guessing it's not going to open too big. It's a 24. It's going to open, I don't know exactly. But we're going to have some sense of how it's playing.
1: Yeah, they're that's gonna like need it. awards buzz for that movie because that's gonna be even people at the festival didn't want to see it because they thought it was just gonna be about
2: yeah, confinement mm-hmm. and being locked in. Being locked so around. it's
1: yeah. gonna need some word of mouth. It's gonna need awards buzz. It's not gonna be a big money maker, I don't think. At, at first, it will be if they open it small. It'll be like Steve Jobs. It'll get the you know the New York and L.A. people excited, and then it's gonna take a while for it to build. And but eventually, I think it will. Uh huh. Um. It'll build up enough to be certainly a contender, and they'll make their money back. But right, um, okay. But I wanted to tell you, and I, I, keep every time you bring up Room in that crying scene, I always mean to tell you this, and I always forget. When I watched Spotlight, I was watching it on Telluride, and there was an old man sitting next to me, and I had this long conversation with them about suffrage. Yet. we were talking about that,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they were saying how they liked it, but that they thought that it, you know, it needed something more at the end or whatever. And that guy at the end of Spotlight. Burst into hysterical sobs, and he sat there and he cried for like ten minutes, and he, his wife had to finally help him out of the theater. Like, I just thought, wow. I mean, so for some people, Spotlight is going to be incredibly moving like that. It, it
2: because it's, there's a moral current. It's really We, we there really is uh, a feeling of morality very palpably throughout that film, yeah. without anybody pointing to it or saying we're being moral or this is the moral. It's, it's, it's there. I think that's what he's
1: responding. to. What I think, think so too. Well, yeah, I think because I hate to keep spoiling things for listeners who haven't seen it, but that Stanley Tucci scene at the end, where you know he's uh, spoiler alert, he's um, he's talking to uh, to Mark Mark Ruffalo. Mark, Mark Ruffalo, who gives him the paper, and and Stanley Tucci just very under you know responds, and he just says thank you, and then he goes back into that room and he starts working with those kids, and just the nice. idea that. The price they paid for doing that story right for waiting as long as they did, which is great was uh-huh. you know how many hundreds of kids being molested you know during that time and how ongoing it was and I really think that people feel especially if they're Catholic, they really can feel the impact more than someone who isn't religious or isn't Catholic. Someone who grew up with priests or went to church or anything like that to see this thing come out and be exposed is you know, can be shattering, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what was happening with that old guy next to me. I didn't see a lot of other people crying, but the second time I saw the movie, I really did feel the impact of it more, Uh. which is why I was surprised that it got such a lackluster response from that crowd, which makes me think that the hype is what helped kill it, you know, whereas it needs to come in with a lot less expectation, so people are just discovering the movie, you know, and they hear all this hype, and they think you know they're expecting something more dramatic than what they see. Whereas... It is
2: dramatic. It's very uh, has a lot of feeling, a lot of trauma, a lot of sadness, and but it's but it's uh, dealt with in a very ordered and um, and uh, procedural way. Yeah. And and, and people say, well, I, I want more than that. And and this is people that go in there with an agenda, they want a certain kind of movie, which is what the Academy does. They want Academy movies. You do the Academy thing. Then they're going to, you know, they're going to respond and say, "Okay." They'll be on their feet. They'll be cheering. But if you do something a little drier, a little more procedural, like a little, you know, a little, uh, uh, you know, a field, then they're going to, they're going to have problems. They're going to start being cranky and saying it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. This is what I despise about the academy membership. You
1: know? Yeah, I I agree with that. And um, I could be wrong. I mean, I'd like to hear what they had to say, but. You know, you get those really important journalists out there in front of this crowd and you only have a couple of questions and then any more questions and nope, okay, well, the night's over. You just sort of feel deflated like, God, you know, they were doing such good work. And I guess the feeling well, I got from them, you know, is kind of similar to what they're talking about in Truth, Mary Mapes and stuff, is sort of this anti-modern world, this anti-new journalism um, theme that's running throughout these movies, which is things have really gotten fucked up. You know, and, and we've just lost sight of everything's become commentary and there is no hard facts. There is no more investigative reporting. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you see that a lot in both of these films. I don't know how much Academy members are going to care about that stuff. They hate journalists, for instance. But um, so whatever. Take it for what it's worth. But it's going to be a. they. Sp-
2: they hate journalists. They kind of
1: do. Yeah, because they feel like.
2: They hate know-it-all types like you and me, okay, but th- they hate journalists?
1: I kind of think that they, they've they all been, they all have this wary kind of, I've been burned too many times, I don't do interviews because journalists will try to screw me and exploit me and stuff like that. Maybe a little bit. Um, you'd have to talk to them and ask them. But uh, certainly both of these movies are about respected journalists. Um, mm,
2: okay. By the way, you, um, in not coming to the thing yesterday... Um, you that there really is something special when I, I boldly and, and and secretively snuck into Studio A downstairs. Yeah, I saw that. And that was really <laughs> something. I'm telling you, it's so it's it's. I haven't been in a good recording studio, in, I don't know, decades. I can't remember the last time I was in one in Bridgeport a long time ago. But it's so quiet and so, mm. uh, you know, you really feel you're in something. A, a, a very special environment something that and they they had it renovated uh, i think it was about 20 25 years ago and but it's the place and it has all this history and it's just beautiful you know it's a wonderful thing to just sit inside of and and so much of the the clamor and the and the and the and the and the wheezing and the cars everything is, yeah. is been, been shut out it's so quiet it's beautiful
1: wow and that's not where they filmed love and mercy is it
2: no, actually, Love and Mercy, the Pet Sounds album, was mainly, and, and, and Smile, were at two studios in, in deep Hollywood, one of which, Gold Star, is no longer with us, and there's another one, the name isn't coming to me, but it's, um, but but uh, the the only thing that the Beach Boys recorded at Capitol was actually the very, according to a guy I talked to who was working there, was the very first one, which was called Surf and Safari, I think,
0: mm. oh. that
2: was at They they didn't record it after. For whatever reason, Brian Wilson preferred the other smaller studios.
1: Well, I'm rooting for them, and I hope they get in. I think they both will. I think Paul Dano is a sure bet for supporting, and um, I think he could even win in that category. I know it seems like a long shot right now, but I feel like his performance is moving enough and sympathetic enough and and Mm -hmm. actually a lead performance that he he could possibly win supporting if he keeps working it like he is. I and mean, you All know, right. you have to do what Jared Leto did during <laughs> Dallas Buyers <laughs> Club. Like you have to be out everywhere, mm-hmm. and that sucks. A lot of people don't want to yeah. do that, but you know, Dano might. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see.
2: Anyway, so let's uh, let's let's ease it up. We we did yeah. a nice one. We 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 found some real energy here. Phil was good, and uh, I, think so. I think I'm actually proud of what we did today.
1: Yeah, as me a, too. As
2: opposed to, what was it, two, three weeks ago when we didn't have it? Sometimes the, the spirit is with you and sometimes it is not. That's
1: but today true. It's good. <laughs> okay, good. All right, you have a good Sunday. Okay, you too. All right, bye. Bye. You've been listening to episode 112 of Oscar Poker with Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, Jeff Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, and special guest Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com. We will be back next week with another episode. And the bumper music was I'm Free by the Violent Femmes and Precious Memories by Bob Dylan. Thanks for listening.